Hey everybody, welcome back. It's your favorite doctor, or maybe your least favorite doctor, because you're probably tired of hearing my voice by now. But uh, this week is receptionist week, so for all of our receptionists listening out there, I just wanted to say thank you. You have no idea how much you are appreciated. You, know, you are the guys are the first people who are out there talking to these owners and just try to help calm them down. You're the first people who have to talk on the phone with everybody and try to ask us questions. I know it takes a lot of patience to be a receptionist, and so I just want to say thank you. So today we're going to talk about permethrin toxicity. You may know this as cats who get dog flea medication put on them. So that drug or that toxin is actually called permethrin. So we're going to kind of talk about like what permethrin is made from, what it does, um, how cats are affected, why are cats affected and not dogs, and how we treat them. So permethrins are really interesting. Uh, they're found in quite a lot of different flea and tick preventions, and they're usually the ones that are going to be labeled for dogs only. But that's not always true. There are some of them that have permethrins that will say for dogs and cats because they're supposed to be a smaller dose for cats. But regardless, most of them that are supposed to be a toxic dose are supposed to say for dogs only. And there's usually really high amounts of this drug in there, like usually about 45 to 65% of permethrin is that like that is the drug that's in there. It's also used in other things too. So we only think about like flea preventions, but it's also used for like agricultural insecticides and also for household cleaner insecticides and even for like tick sprays. Like people will spray it on their clothes so that they can like repel ticks essentially. Pyrethrins can even work against things like ants and mosquitoes. There was a super cool lady in the 1880s. Her husband did a lot of like farming of pyrethrin type flowers um, per I think it's called pyrethrum seeds if I remember correctly and she started to realize that you could make these cool little discs that are used even today to like help repel mosquitoes so su super cool things that it can actually do like it does a lot of really good things as long as it's used correctly right so they found these pyrethrins that were in these plants, right? And these are pyrethrins, not permethrins that we use now. But pyrethrins are the natural form of this insecticide. Okay, now we get permethrins. So permethrins are the synthetic form of pyrethrins. Essentially, it just means that somebody made these things in a lab to be able to act exactly like the pyrethrins or the natural form of the insecticide. So now we've made a new type of this, right? Now, after finding out that these permethrins, the synthetic form, the ones that are man-made, can be used in other ways, we started experimenting with like, well, what can we put this on? Can we put it on ourselves? Can we put it on the agricultural, the food? And then also it became something that we put on animals as well. Now, for most mammals, this is this drug is very safe. For dogs, usually very safe. You know, most mammals, people, usually very safe. But it is not safe against things like, you know, our fleas and ticks and mosquitoes. So a lot of our bugs, but also our cats as well. We'll kind of get into like why we think that happens. But for cats, it can be very toxic. Most of the time when cats get into this, it's usually that somebody's put the, 
flea prevention on accidentally or sometimes purposefully. So the you know, the number one scenario is that they were given a flea product from a friend. They said, oh, I don't need to use this anymore. And then they put it onto their cat thinking, well, if I just put half of it on my cat, then that should be okay. They weigh roughly, you know, half of the amount of what it says to use for the dog. So then they put half of it on the cat and then the cat starts showing symptoms. Another thing is that somebody will buy the dog one and people will tell them, well, just split it up. And that way you can use for the cat and you don't have to buy two separate things. But when they do that, again, we're putting the wrong drug on the cat. Another interesting one is if you have dogs who recently are playing with a cat. So they'll lick each other, they groom each other, or they're just playing and the cat gets exposed because of what's on the body. So like when they put the topical ones on and then the cat gets exposed to it. And then the other one is um, what I was mentioning earlier, like, people who spray their clothes with these to like help prevent against like mosquito bites and tick bites. Um, cats rub all over you, right? So if they are exposed that way when they were rubbing on your clothes that you sprayed, um, that can also still cause a toxicity. So what do the permethrins do? Like what kind of toxin is this? This is classified as a neurotoxin, meaning it's going to affect the nervous system in some way. So there are I'll give you the short answer first, and then I'll give you the longer, more complicated answer. So the short answer is it causes them to have really severe tremors that can go into seizures. All right, now we're going to talk about why that happens. So when your nerves in the body want to do something, they want to signal that something needs to happen. Like if your muscle wants to move, your nerve opens up these sodium channels to let sodium in, that tells your nerve to conduct electricity down your body. And then when it's done conducting that, potassium comes in and closes the sodium channel and says, okay, we're done. We don't need to do this anymore. So the way that I think of this is, let's say it is Christmas and we don't have this as much anymore with now that we have Amazon, but when there used to be like Toys R Us, people lined up at that door, ready to go in on Christmas Eve or whatever day so that they can get the hottest toys that have just been put out. You know, Tickle Me Elmo was the big thing. People actually like died over this toy. But let's say everybody's waiting at that door. These are all the sodium ions who are ready to like bust in to that Toys R Us. So when the nerve is ready to fire or those Toys R Us doors are ready to open, they get opened up and tons of people start rushing in, right? If we want to keep this as quiet as possible, people not trying to kill each other, the store's not filling up, then they're going to want to make sure that only a certain amount of people go in. And then as people come out, we let more people in, right? So the same thing can happen with our sodium channels. We don't want mass chaos. So we open up these sodium channels for a limited time so that our nerves can fire and send a signal to the muscle or the brain or wherever. And then potassium comes in, and that's gonna be like the people who are like the security guards at the door, shut the door and say, okay, everybody else needs to wait until we're ready to get more sodium in there. So potassium comes in, it does something called repolarization, whereas sodium does something called depolarization. But literally it just means sodium is telling your nerves to fire. Potassium says to your nerves, okay, now we need to settle down. 
Now, when this neurotoxin, permethrin, comes in, it essentially holds those doors of Toys R Us open. And it just lets massive amounts of sodium come in or massive amounts of people trying to find Tokomiyomo, right? Those security guards cannot close the doors because they they physically cannot do it because there's so much sodium rushing in and all of these other toxins holding the doors open. So if that happens, our store becomes overloaded. Everybody starts fighting. It is mass chaos. And the same thing is happening to these cats is that these sodium channels are being opened up and they're just having massive firing of nerves. They're just going over and over and over again. So if I have my nerve to my muscle and it says, I will need you to move your leg, it's going to tell me that over and over and over again. And it's almost like having a seizure because they're constantly tremoring they're con- and they'll get to the point of having seizures. Now, that's the most well-known pathway that it causes problems with, but there are other pathways as well that cause problems. I mean, it can also inhibit something called the calcium-magnesium ATPase. You you don't need to know what all that means, okay? But really, like, what you do need to know is, like, it makes calcium increase. So it if you think of dogs who have, like, lymphoma or dogs who have just, like, really high calcium they're going to tremor a lot as well. So it causes those tremors. Just like if a dog has really low calcium, they kind of both do the same thing. But again, it's another one of those pathways that causes tremors. They think there are other pathways as well that kind of relate to this, but they're not 100% sure what those other pathways are yet. So why is it that this affects the flea, right? So we know it doesn't affect the dog, but somehow this affects the flea. And we have differences in anatomy and physiology, like the way that fleas are able to get rid of stuff, the way that they're able to, like the toxins work on some of them and other toxins don't. It's very different with like dogs and cats and things like fleas. So in the flea, you'll actually see that it causes restlessness And then in coordination, so they're ataxic or wobbly, essentially. And then it can also cause them to be paralyzed. So um, one thing is that when dogs are itchy after they've gotten a flea medication, a lot of times that's because these fleas are like running around restless while they're attempting to die, essentially. Because they're running around restless and then suddenly become paralyzed. So Usually that itchiness will go away within the first like 24 to 72 hours afterwards when all of those fleas have died off. But you will hear sometimes people are like, well, I gave them flea prevention and it's still itching. That's usually why. All right. So that's how it affects the flea, right? Restlessness and coordination or wobbliness, and then also our paralysis. Now for, now why does it affect cats and not dogs? Like, I get why the flea is different, right? It's just not the same anatomy as our dogs and cats. But dogs and cats, they're both mammals. So why does it affect them differently? All right, so there's a couple things. Real quick, just so you know, like when this chemical is taken either like orally, so like those pills, or it's put on topically, just on the skin, um, it is very fat-soluble. So it loves fat. It wants to sit in fat. Usually these are broken down very quickly. The toxin is 
is ingested, it's broken down very quickly, and then it's excreted. So it's just urinated it out. And the chemicals that are needed to help with the flea prevention go to usually the fat up to the skin and make it so that it repels our insects, but also if they bite, it kills them. But it's not in the dog's system long enough to cause a problem because it's, like I said, it's broken down very quickly. So one of those pathways to break this drug down quickly is called glucuronidation. Again, I'm not going to quiz you on this, don't worry. But glucuronidation is something that cats cannot do. They need to have a protein called glucuronidase transferase. It just means it's something to help break things down. It is an enzyme that breaks things down. And cats do not have that. So they lack this. They're deficient in it. And that makes them break this down very slowly, which means that it's excreted slowly or it goes into the urine slowly. One of the interesting things that you think about is the fact that these you know, pyrethrins, permethrins, they're supposed to last for 30 days, right? Most of these flea preventions, or even some of them last for three months. So wouldn't you think that that cat would have symptoms for three months, right? Because it lasts in the system for three months. So shouldn't the cat have these symptoms for the three months? Well, it doesn't happen like that because they can break it down eventually. It's just a lot slower in the cat than it is the dog. You know, the dog can break it down very quick, whereas the cat, it's going to take potentially a couple of days for them to break it down. So one of the things that people have always wanted to know is like, what is the lethal dose in cats? Like, how do we know how much is toxic? And unfortunately, the answer is we don't know. We know that for some of them with like the 45% permethrins in it, one mil, which is typically like in like the small dogs, usually a one mil, that is enough to cause a lethal dose. That is enough to cause symptoms. But we don't, again, we don't know how much is going to cause problems because even then we don't know like how much is deficient in glucuronidase. We don't know if that's the only pathway that it's affecting. So there's there's still kind of a lot of unknowns there. We do know like in rats, rats end up having this problem as well. And their lethal dose is 2000 milligrams per kilogram. But we can't extrapolate that for the cats, unfortunately. Now right, let's talk about like what the clinical signs are. The most common thing is you're going to have people call in and say, hey, I put this flea prevention on my cat yesterday and today I woke up and my cat is tremoring. It's just like shaking all over. You know, what do you do? So that is the most common clinical sign. Usually they're going to be having like hypersalivation, meaning they're drooling. They have hyperesthesia, meaning that they're like really sensitive to sounds and noises things going fast in front of them, just kind of like the pot toxicities, the same thing. They'll have mydriasis, which means that their pupils are really large. And then you're going to see tremors. So you'll usually see like their ears twitching. You'll see their whole body just twitching. Their muscles are twitching. So again, like those sodium channels are opening and it's like causing mass chaos. Because their muscles are twitching so fast, it builds up a lot of heat and cats can't get rid of heat very well. So they'll end up with hyperthermia or their temperature is really high. 
And then that leads to them having seizures and even possibly being in a coma because of brain swelling. So this can be really deadly if they're not brought in. Um, other weird signs can be like they can have like some ataxia or just wobbliness. They can have tachypnea, meaning that their respiratory rate is really fast. Or they can have hypothermia, so the opposite of hyperthermia or a low body temperature. Those are not as common of clinical signs, but they can potentially happen. And these usually develop anywhere between like hours to up to 72 hours after having this put on them. And then the clinical signs can last for two to three days sometimes. So even if we don't see some of those signs in hospital, sometimes we're sending them home with medication because we know that they're going to potentially still have this for a couple of days. All right, how do we diagnose it? The history is usually the most important thing. You know, if they say, I know I put this flea prevention on, then we have a good idea that that's probably what's causing this problem. It's also going off the clinical signs. If I see a cat and a kennel like tremoring, their ears twitching a lot, I'm going to start asking them about like, you know, if there's any way they could have been exposed to a dog who had it on them or if somebody was spraying their own clothes with, with a flea or tick or mosquito prevention to see if maybe they got it from that person. Unfortunately, there is no other test for this. Like you can technically send out fur if they got it on their fur and you know where it is on their fur like you can send the fur out but that's like days I think it's even a week if I remember correctly to do that and by that time we've hopefully already treated it right so there's no like easy quick test that we can do for it so a lot of times we're treating for it based on their clinical signs not because of some test and there's no blood test for this some of the other differentials, because we don't know 100% unless somebody we know somebody put that on, is going to be other things that are going to cause tremors or seizures. So strychnine toxicity, which is snail bait, human medications like pseudoephedrine or amphetamines, so things like Ritalin, um, bromethylene rodenticide, so a rat bait that causes neurological problems, tremorgenic mycotoxins, this is something that you commonly find in compost. So if somebody said the cat, they saw the cat get into compost, that can cause that. Nicotine from like cigarettes, um, lead, encephalitis, which is something I've talked about earlier about when you have meningitis. This is along those same lines. Um, epilepsy, again, this one's a hard one because there's no test for that. Hypoglycemia, so low blood sugar. Hypocalcemia, so low calcium. A hepatic encephalopathy, this typically happens with like dogs who have liver shunts. So if you have um, a dog who cannot get rid of the waste product in their body, they'll start to have seizures. And then traumas. So as you can see, like there's definitely a lot of other things this could potentially be. And so ideally the history is going to be the most important in this situation. Because if they're like, there is no way they could have gotten into flea prevention, then we need to start looking at these other medications or other toxins. Some of these I'm not going to treat the same as I'm going to with a permethrin toxicity. So what do we do for our treatments? So technically there is no antidote. We're only treating these things symptomatically. We're just trying to help like control the symptoms until their body starts to break down the permethrins and excretes it out of the body, gets rid of it. So that way 
we're just treating it until we can till that pet stabilizes itself essentially. Usually we're doing the first thing is like seizure control. We want to help control those seizures or those tremors and stabilize them. That's the biggest priorities. So by prolonging stabilization or waiting for these seizures, these tremors and these seizures can actually start to cause cerebral edema or meaning that their brain starts to swell. That's not good. You know, brain swelling can cause irreversible brain damage. Um, you can have trauma to the brain. You can have breakdown of muscle. And when that muscle breaks down, it causes something called myoglobinuria, which we've kind of talked about before as well. But they're really big molecules that are not supposed to go through the kidneys, and it can damage the kidneys as well. So not only do we now have like this cat who's tremoring, has a really high body temperature, now is having seizures, having brain damage, and then now its kidneys are going to start failing. So this can be like super serious and we need to get them in. And that's kind of one thing that to talk to owners about when they're like, well, I'm just going to give them a bath and they'll be fine. Sure, some of those cats will be fine, but some of them will not be fine. Some of them, this is very deadly for them. So it's just talking to them about like why we need to bring them in and how this could get really bad. So the mainstay of treatment for us is usually going to be IV methocarbamol or robaxin. If anybody's hurt your back, you know what this is because it is a muscle relaxer. It helps everything just relax. And that's what we need our muscles to do when the nerves are firing over and over and over again. I can't make your nerves stop firing but I can help the muscles relax so that they don't feel like they need to fire over and over again. So that's essentially what we're doing. There is um, a dose for this, so I will kind of tell you because it's interesting, but it's usually anywhere between 44 milligrams per kilogram to a bolus of 330 milligrams per kilogram. But in our books, it actually says to not exceed 330 milligrams per cake per day. So if I bolus 330 milligrams per kilogram and it says not to go over that, you better hope that we don't need any more. Some of the ASPCA people say that it's not a big deal, that it's okay to go over it, but we do have other drugs as well. So if like we're getting to boluses that high and they're not stopping these seizures or tremors, then there needs to be other things that are used. So the other things that ASPCA and the Merck manual and everybody uses is going to be things like propofol or alfaxalone. Um, I will tell you in a second what I use because I don't use those. You can use anesthesia to help stop their brain from you know, just going crazy. You can also use diazepam and midazolam for these. So I will caution you with this though, because if we don't know what the toxin is, then using diazepam or midazolam for seizures is not always a good option because if you do that and it's not that toxin, we could potentially actually make these seizures worse. So I always tell people like, if you don't know what the toxin is, don't give midazolam or diazepam. Instead, we're going to give things like Keppra. But most of these cases, people know what they put on their cat. You know, they're like, oh, I got it from a friend and didn't realize it was not for cats. The thing that I use, though, um, I often use Dextomator, and this is controversial, but I've definitely seen like a bulldog having seizures. We put them under anesthesia with propofol, 
we had him under full anesthesia and he still was continuing to seize. Like you could see his brain continuing to go, his, his like paddling and stuff, even while he was under full anesthesia, his heart rate being really high. And this was on my internship and we found that dextromator was really the only thing that stopped those things. It stopped those seizures. So you will often see me use dextromator for these cats to try to help calm them down. Otherwise, we're doing other things to try to help support them. So it's giving them like fluids because they're going to be dehydrated. People always worry about the hyperthermia, so those really high body temperatures. We do not need to do extremely aggressive cooling. Like you don't need to put them in a cold water bath. You don't need to do cold water enemas. The cool thing about this toxin is like when those tremors stop, the hyperthermia is fixed as well. So their body temperature usually returns to, to normal just because they've stopped tremoring. So most of the time you don't have to do a lot of that. If you really need to do like some active cooling, like you need to wrap their you know ice around their line or something, or put them with like ice in their kennel or something, you can do that, but you got to be really careful to make sure that you stop cooling them at about... I prefer 103.5, but even the book textbooks say 102.5 because they can have a rebound hypothermia. You get them to, you know, let's say 101, and then suddenly they become very hypothermic down to like 96 degrees. And we don't want that either because now we got to warm them back up, right? And they were just like messing around with their little thermoregulation in their brain. So we want to stop that before we get too cold so that their body doesn't go the opposite way. The other thing is I will bathe the cat. So I tell the owners that we need to get all of that stuff off the cat. So I bathe them. And if I know that they put it on the back of the neck or the back of their shoulders, I will shave that spot as well. We always want to have them use a mild detergent. So like if somebody will not bring their cat in, you can tell them like they can bathe it in like Dawn dish soap. That's a really mild detergent. You don't want things that have like a lot of alcohol in it or like a lot of smelly scents in it. It needs to be something really mild. And Dawn dish soap is really good for that. The other cool thing that they've just found, so they've done a study in 2002 that talked about using intravenous lipid emulsion. So if you've ever seen us give this, it is literally like a bag of white stuff. And it's it's actually fat. We're putting fat into the patient so that we can help try to decrease the toxin. We're still like learning how it works and how much to give. But this paper that they had come out showed that they gave a 1.5 mil per kg bolus. And then kind of what you see in the critical care book, it's a 15 mil per kg for an hour after that. Or the other way of thinking that that is 0.25 to 0.5 mils per kg per minute. Literally, like whoever's doing the, the um, you know, ordering it should be the one doing the calculations. But if they're like, hey, I don't know what this is, that's what it is. 1.5 mils per kg bolus and then 15 mils per kg for one hour. So when they did this study, they did this on multiple cats. They actually had like a colony of cats that were outdoor feral cats that the owners, or the person who did this, put dog flea prevention on this huge colony of cats. And then all of them were tremoring and coming in like dying. If I remember correctly, I believe everybody made it. But the first one that was the worst off 
um, they didn't realize like what to do or how to fix it. And he was getting worse and worse and worse. But they ended up like for each one of the cats, putting them all on intralipids or lipid emulsion therapy. And each of the cats recovered very rapidly. Like after 10 minutes after that bolus, all of the tremor stopped. Most of these cats were discharged within 24 to 54 hours. The 54-hour one was that cat that was like hospitalized first and didn't get this intravenous uh, lipids until I think almost 36 hours into the hospitalization. So he might have already gone home at 24 hours had they started this earlier. But we're not 100% sure how this works. The belief is that, remember I talked about how these drugs love fat. Lipids are fat. So what we think is that these lipids or this fat goes into the blood vessels and then it's really big. And so it draws in those things that love fat. So it draws in this permethrin that wants to go, that loves fat, right? It draws it into the bloodstream so it doesn't go into any of those tissues. It doesn't go into any of the nerves and it doesn't cause that problem. It doesn't hold the door open for that mass you know, amount of crowd that's going to storm into the toy store for the Tickle Me Elmo. So if it's nobody's holding those doors open, our security guards can go back, do their normal job, close off those sodium channels or the doors to Toys R Us, and then it's not going to be as big of a deal. We're not going to have those tremors anymore. So that's kind of what they assume happens. And then it can be easily metabolized after that and then goes away. The only other thing we kind of have to think about with our treatment stuff is if they're hospitalized for longer than 24 hours, that we should start some nutritional support on them. So putting in a feeding tube and giving them food that way so that we don't also cause hepatic lipidosis, which is where cats, their liver essentially starts failing because they're not putting, they're not like storing things correctly. And it almost looks like fat goes into their liver. So we don't want that either, because that's even worse if we have to deal with that. Now, there's something that had been started that I had no idea about I, until I started looking this up, and I thought this was pretty cool. This International Cat Care started a campaign to bring awareness to this toxicity. Like, like I said, I literally had no clue this even existed. They talk about like just how to prevent the toxicity. So when we're talking to clients about this, like when they ask like, well, what do I do next time? You know, one thing is to like make sure that they buy the flea treatments that are for cats specifically or that are only for cats. So that way, you know, it's not going to be one that's going to cause a problem. And then to also be really wary when they're shopping online, because a lot of those products, like a lot of these products are off name brands. And you don't know what they are. Like they're literally not even something I could like search. But they won't say on there like the active ingredient. And then those packages are so small to see. You don't see the little warning label that says, you know, it's not for cats or for dogs only. And then they get it and then they put it on their cat. And this is what happens. Talk to them about like, you know, read the instructions really carefully. If you look at these boxes and these packages for most products, like, Canine Advantix is the biggest one that I can think of. 
it actually has on there like a picture with the cat and it says like no cat. It says not for cats. It says for dogs only. Like when I looked at one of those packages, you could see it in about 20 different places. It was all over the tube. It was all over the packaging. It was all over the box. It's like making sure that they're looking for those symbols that say that is not to be used in cats. And then Telling them about like never using a dog product on a cat, you know, even if we're trying to like save money and trying to like, you know, split it up between the cats, which is super common. We don't want to do that because we don't want to use any dog products on the cats. This isn't going to save them money if they have to hospitalize their, their cats, you know. And then if they have both dogs and cats, choosing a treatment that's going to be for the cats, not necessarily always one that's for dogs, because you want to make sure that the treatment that was chosen doesn't have permethrins in it, which is typically a dog one. And if the dog is treated with permethrins, then keeping the cat away from the dog for at least 72 hours so that can dry and get metabolized, and now we don't have to worry about the cat getting into it. And I'm sure this is the question everybody wants to know. What are some of the most common flea and tick preventions that have permethrins in it? So like I said, there are actually lots of brands that are not like normal name brands that you'd have to just like look it up. And I tell people like to look on the back of the package. It will say permethrins on it. And if it says that, don't use it. Use a different product or keep the cats away, like I said. Put on the dogs, don't put on the cats, keep them away from the cats for 72 hours. Some of the most well-known products that have this are going to be Canine Advantix, like I was mentioning before, where it says all over it, do not use in cats. Um, something called Certifect. I don't know this one, but again, like I don't do GP. Uh, Vector or Vectra 3D has this. Activil Tick Plus. And then the most common ones that I see from the pet stores is going to be Sargent's and some of the Hearts products. If it says on there, you know, four dogs only, people will still buy it because they want to be able to like divide it up. And they're not as big with like putting it all over the packaging. Like the last Sargent's one I saw, it was like in one place. So you really didn't like, you'd have to really look for it to see if there was a problem. Um, they, hopefully they've updated their packaging at this point, but who knows? Now, another question I get is like, are all pyruthrins toxic? And the interesting thing is, no, they're not all toxic. So there are other pyruthrins that just don't go by the name pyruthrin. They're called fumethrin, which is in the Soresto collars. It is okay to put those on cats. It's a different type, a different way of giving you know, the flea prevention, but those Sylvester collars are, are safe. They're not going to hurt them. Then there's another one called Edofenprox. I don't know what that is. I've actually like not heard of this drug before or seen it in any flea preventions, but apparently it's another type of pyrethrin that's like really well tolerated in cats. So just to review really quickly, so if we have permethrins that are put on a cat, we want to have them bring them in immediately. If they're not having seizures, I usually bathe them very quickly in Dawn dish soap. I have their fur where they had it put just shaved and then putting them into the kennel, starting them on IV fluids and usually methocarbamol or robaxin to try to help 
stop those tremors. Ideally, if they're not too hot or if they're not having other problems, that's usually about it. Like we're waiting for their tremors to stop by giving them boluses of Robaxin or giving them a CRI of Robaxin, which is that muscle relaxer, until they stop tremoring. And typically they're able to go home within about 24 hours. But you know, if we have like this um, intralipids therapy, if we have one open, that's super easy to use on this cat. And then maybe they'll be able to go home even sooner. So we always weigh out like how much is this intralipid therapy versus like how long is a hospitalization stay? And is it worth it to like do the intralipids or is it more worth it to just do the hospitalization? And at this point, like I have not used intralipids for this yet, but they are kind of expensive per bag. I think it's like $250 per bag, if I remember correctly. And, you know, can we use that rather than like waiting for it to just come out of its system and for the cat to eventually be able to break it down? Well, I think that kind of depends because a lot of times they're using these other flea medications because they're trying to save money. And if we're trying to cut costs as well, then we have to decide like which one is going to be more. Do I just give the intralipid therapy for the cats that can't stay? Or do we give the intralipid therapy for just the people who can't afford to hospitalize their cats for 24 hours? That's always kind of a personal decision for the doctors to kind of decide what they feel is going to be the most um, appropriate for that pet. All right, that is it for permethrin toxicities. So funny story now. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. Sorry if I didn't, but I'm pretty sure I did. That I've worked with like seals and sea lions before. And um, I was going to tell you one of the funny stories I had while working with one of the seals. Or sea lions, I'm sorry. So the the sea lion, we, they have something in Southern California called demoic acidosis, which is a toxin. So I thought this was you know, relevant, we're talking about toxins. But it's a neurotoxin, again like our permethrins, and it will cause them to have um, just seizures. They are laying out, they can't eat, they can't move, like they're almost paralyzed for a while. Uh, so we have to literally tube feed them to be able to get food into them until they recover and are able to go kind of back out into the ocean. Like the goal is to get them to recover so much so that they are able to go back out into the ocean and be wild again. But there was this one sea lion that it was like, it was doing great. Like it could swim, it could eat its own food, but it would still have seizures. And so they thought, well, maybe if we just kept him for longer, we can get him to the point where he like stops having seizures and then we can send him back out into the wild. So he had been there for a couple of weeks at that point. And we were feeding him this giant pool. Like this is a giant pool that they have when they get to this point where they're like, we want to release them. And he was in the pool, we were feeding him, and there was like four other people who were in there feeding some of the other sea lions as well. And then suddenly as we're feeding him, like this was the first time we fed him in the pool where he, because we would normally have him feed, eat outside of the pool in case he had any seizures. But this was the first time we fed him in the pool and he had a seizure in the pool. It is not good when a sea lion has a seizure in a pool. Like imagine you have a dog having a seizure and now they're underwater. They, when they're, when they're seizing, they can't control their breathing or anything, right? And their lungs are going to fill with air. All right. I don't know if you know how big a 
California sea lion is, but they're freaking big. And so I am standing there. My my superior is on the other side of the pool, and she was like, jump in. I have my all my clothes on. I have this suit that you use to try to help keep yourself like from getting wet. And I have these giant fishing boots on. And I jump into the water. Thank God I'm a good swimmer. Jump into the water, grab the sea lion, and start like bringing him over to the side, hoping he doesn't bite me. I'm just like, I'm like, the only thing that's going through my mind at this point is like, my wife is going to kill me if this sea lion bites me in the face. Like she is going to murder me. So I grab the sea lion. I push him over to the edge of the pool. So everybody just kind of comes running over. They like throw all the fish in the water at the other end so that the other sea lions are, are you know, distracted as I'm like trying to pull this sea lion over. And everybody grabs his flippers and tries to get him out of the water and into onto the little embankment that we have there. As I'm like attempting to get out of this out of water, and my suit is just like full of water. My boots are full of water. My suit is full of water. It was like the heaviest thing attempting to get out of the water. Like they're trying to help me out of the water because I like could not get out of this thing. Oh, it was terrible. So we get the the sea lion out. He's okay. We ended up he was he didn't drown. Luckily, like we were really worried he was going to get aspiration pneumonia. But at that point, you're just like, well, what do we do with the sea lions? So they were trying to decide, like, do we just euthanize him? Because at this point, he can't even go in the water and eat, which is essential for life. He has to go into the water to eat his fish, right? So eventually, they actually found an aquarium who took him, and so they knew that when he was like having seizures that they would have to have some sort of system to pull him out so they created this like little harness thing so that when he was eating and stuff like they could grab him very quickly and pull him off to the side if they needed to and they never fed him like in the actual tank they always would pull him out and have him eat on the land because there's there's no permanent residence when you have a marine mammal care center. Like they need to be able to go somewhere else. There, there's not going to be like a seal or a sea lion that just hangs out there for the rest of its life. Like they need to be rehabilitated. So it is pretty cool that some of the zoos would take some of those ones that had problems, like demoic acidosis. We had one that was blind that the um, Long Beach Aquarium took. It was a little harbor seal. Oh, when I say little. Not really that little, but little for a harbor seal. And then we've had other ones that took like fur seals, like the uh, California fur seals are super cool. The Northern California fur seals are super cool. There's the Guatemalan fur seals that are super cool. And we never saw those guys. And so when we did, it was just like the, the best thing. They're also super cute, extremely aggressive, like going to rip your muscle out of your body aggressive. But still super cute. You know, it's like that little kitten that has like cute little face and then just wants to rip your face off. It's, it's like one of those. But I was super happy. I did not die. I did not get bit in the face. Sea lion lived. Uh, but man, that was that was a scary moment there. Like when people talk about the, the life flashing before their eyes, like that, I think that happened during that moment because these things are gigantic. So... Fun story for you guys. I just figured it would 
be talking somewhat about our toxicity like we were kind of talking about. All right. Again, if you guys have any questions, if you want me to cover something, email me, find me, talk to me, text me, whatever. Um, and I hope you guys are getting a lot out of this. And again, um, happy receptionist week for you guys. Thank you for everything you do again.